something different from here on out. That doesn't mean that the regular free lunch podcast is going to disappear, but I feel like the reason I've been struggling to provide content lately is because I haven't been talking about things I want to talk about. I still have some content planned in the motivational sphere, but for now, I want to write and say what I want, and that's starting today. It might not be for you, but I hope that in doing this, I can branch out so that I'm not constraining myself in the future. That means more podcasts, more blogs, and I think that's a great thing. So without further ado, here we go. Hypothetical situation for you. It's the not too distant future and somehow I've become a physics prodigy. Everything Einstein did, I do it better. I prove that faster than light travel is possible. I'm working alongside Elon Musk at SpaceX to get us to Mars and I'm breaking through barriers not thought possible. At this point, I presumably cured world hunger as well, and removed all corruption, hatred, war, and racism in the world. If we're going to do this, let's go all the way. And then I figure out the key to the biggest mystery ever conceived. I create a time machine. Naturally, I construct it in the form of a DeLorean DMC-12. There's no question. And so I enter my great vessel of hyperbolic travel and set off down the abandoned Nevada highway. Gears shift as my speed steadily increases. I suppose I'm wearing a red sleeveless puffer jacket, a baseball cap, and full denim for the sake of accuracy. Slowly, the machine speeds up. 80, 82, 85, 87, and finally 88. There is a massive burst of fire and electricity. The machine shudders violently as I'm nearly instantaneously thrown through time. As soon as it's begun, it's over. Slam! I emerge from the time stream, the DeLorean sizzling with latent energy. I assume some copyrighted music is playing in the background. And there I am, 2077. I would have tried for 2018, but that's redundant for obvious reasons. My DeLorean speeds smoothly through the streets of Neo Angeles, the super city that stretches across the entire west coast of the USA and into the center of the country. The fashion is strange, the buildings are stranger. The cars are obviously electric, more comparative to something out of Minority Report than anything else. So there I am. The future. Where's my first stop? Myself? I'm 80 in this time period, so maybe I should go and look in on me. A department store. Where better to get a feel for the technology we have created in the several years past. Maybe I hit up an internet cafe and get an idea of the current political climate. Hopefully the world is functioning a little better in this time. No, none of those. I go to GameStop. That absurdly long intro was there to show you not only how I can ramble given enough time, but how important video games are to me. I have a long and occasionally sordid history with the medium, apart from the occasional bum about on the arcade machines at the movie theaters I used to go to. I didn't really play games until I inherited my older brother's Game Boy Pocket, you know, those massive purple monstrosities that wouldn't fit in anyone's pocket? I was five at the time. But pissing about with a couple of cartridges I got, Tetris, Kirby, and The Empire Strikes Back, I believe, was immensely fun. 
It wasn't until a year later that I found my love for games when I found a random copy of Pokemon Yellow lying around at school. No one was missing one, obviously, so I took it. I was a shitty kid sometimes, and that little sin never came back to bite me in the ass, thankfully. I loved it. The game mechanics were beyond me, as it was my first proper game, but as a fan of the TV show, I loved walking around with my Pikachu, battling trainers, and usually getting my ass handed to me. That's where it began. That brings me to today's subject. However much I love books, film, TV, and writing, nothing will ever compare to the wonderful feeling of picking up a new game and diving into that world. So I wanted to engage in a little thought experiment. Where will games be in the future? For many of us, even the advent of the next generation of consoles still feels so far away. But believe me, we are in the autumn of the PS4 and Xbox One's life. So it's odd to talk about what we'll be playing a whopping 59 years from now. So let's separate this into parts, hardware and software. They're both going to change massively in the future and I can't wait to see what comes next. So I'll start with hardware. Let's look at what we're working with now. We're currently in the 8th generation of consoles, which includes the PS4, Xbox One and Switch. It also bafflingly includes the Wii U, which I still need to remind myself actually existed. Yeah, it really did. We've seen a lot of advancements with this generation. First off, online functionality. While the 360 and PS3 obviously had online, it wasn't perfected until this generation. Now, you could argue that it was perfect on the 360, and you might be right. They were killing it back then, but roll with me here. Now, there's truly an option for an all-digital library of games. That's what I work with. All my games are on my PS4 profile and library. It'll stay with me forever. This can work because of the increased storage sizes, improved online stores, and better internet speeds. And I think we're really going to see an all-digital future. And that's only possible due to the current online capabilities. We also saw the advent of minute improvements to consoles. The Xbox One X and the PS4 Pro are the first in what I think will be a long line of incremental consoles. New, but not in a new generation. There were plenty of other advances made as well. Game streaming, despite it being dog shit, game services, such as Xbox Game Pass, and of course, the ever-doubted, but doubtlessly fun, VR. We've got a lot, right? So where do we go from here? The CEO of Ubisoft, Yves Guimont, I hope I didn't butcher that, said in a recent article that he believes advancements in game streaming could add billions of players to the industry in the future. Yes, billions. He said this, what we are dreaming is that technology will actually allow us to stream our games to all TVs, mobile phones, and tablets in the future, and that we will be able to give an opportunity to all our brands to reach 2.5 billion players in 5 years, and maybe 5 billion within 10 years. He actually thinks that over half the current population on the planet will be gaming in the future, streaming full console experiences to something as incongruous as a mobile phone. He's the kind of guy who would know, right? Here's my take on the whole thing. I think that the next generation is going to be the last official generation of consoles. Here's why. I don't think we'll need them after that. Storage spaces and graphics are basically handled at this point. Lots of people say in the future video games will look like real life. And I don't think that will happen. I don't even think it's possible. And to be honest, I don't want that. One of my favorite games over the last couple of years was Persona 5 by Atlas. The game looks great not because it's lifelike, but because it has superb art direction and style. The future of games isn't in graphics, but in processing power and AI. 
Hell, the difference between this generation and the last one is so small that games from back then are still very playable today, things like Mass Effect and The Last of Us. Games from the PS1 generation, however, aren't. Why? Because the improvement in graphical fidelity has slowed, and that's because we're closely reaching singularity. Go online and check out the gameplay from Quantic Dream's latest game, Detroit Become Human. It's beautiful, and the characters look stunning. It doesn't need to get much better than that. Hardware needs to do two things. It needs to provide power so it can support more things on the screen and higher resolutions without stuttering, and it needs complexity to handle the improvement of AI in games. Having a game where NPCs actively make decisions and go about their lives is the fucking dream. As for streaming, I don't know if we're going to be streaming games to billions of people around the world, but I do think that we're going to get incremental improvements on future hardware that will make incremental improvements in AI and CPU possible. We won't need a PlayStation 7. We'll probably get something like the PlayStation 6 2.0 that will make the experiences better in the key of the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X. I think we're reaching a point where the innovations in gaming won't be in tech, but in software, and how developers make use of all the hardware they're programming on. I do think, however, that we're approaching an all-digital future where discs aren't necessary. In the clutter of daily life, so many people already don't have physical media, and I think that's only going to increase. As for VR, I doubt we'll ever really live in a Ready Player One world. Personally, I've never tried VR, and while I think it will be a great thing for things like education and experiences, I don't think I'll ever be more happy than when I'm sitting down in front of my TV with a controller and a six-pack of beer. That experience shouldn't go away, because in the end, that's what gaming is about. It's escapism, but it's also relaxing and entertaining. I don't want to strap a screen to my head to have that. Still, we're in the infancy of VR as a commercial product. And as someone who hasn't used it, I don't want to make claims that I can't support. I hope it gets better, but I just don't see it being the main medium for consuming games. Now, for the software. We're pretty fucking lucky with what we've got now, to be honest. We've got the tight, story-based experiences like God of War and Uncharted. The Last of Us 2 is coming and I can't wait. We've got sprawling RPGs like The Witcher 3 and Fallout 4. And we've got online behemoths. Hero shooters like Overwatch, battle royales like Fortnite, games and services like Destiny, and of course, MMOs. We're drowning in great stuff to play. Games don't need to get bigger. I'm currently playing Elite Dangerous, which some people may scoff at, but it's really improved since release. They're really supporting it. It would take nearly 50 hours to cross the galaxy that they provide you with to explore. And that's a conservative guess. I've seen some people guess it's over 500 hours. At this point, I don't even know if it's been done. Games don't need more size, they need more depth. They're already doing well at that. Take a look at 2015's The Witcher 3. That game has hundreds and hundreds of quests and side quests to complete. Each one is an entertaining little story with a surprising amount of depth. Increasing that level of quality can only be what's coming in the future. As I said before, games need processing and AI. NPCs need to feel real. Games need to be as smooth as butter. And once we reach technological singularity, and I think we are, these things are going to happen. Here's the big deal with games though. They're too cheap. And I know what you're thinking, games are over 100 bucks here in NZ. 60 in the States. But the price of making a game is enormous. Games need a great deal more dosh put into them if they're going to keep on being made. Even a 10 or $20 price increase would help. I'm broke most of the time, so I don't even necessarily want that. But I know that's what needs to happen. So it's time to answer the question. 
what will games look like in the future? I try finding a GameStop and can't. I look high and low and ask a passerby about it. The stranger, a punkish looking future man, think neon emo, laughs at me. GameStop? They closed years ago. He directs me to a nearby department store. At this point, all these stores have merged together, so I enter Target, Wall, Warehouse, Tesco, Mart, and take a look at their selection of consoles. There are a huge number of different versions. Some are massively expensive beasts that prioritize performance over price or convenience. Others are handheld variants that don't support VR functionality, but are perfect for the daily commute between the many boroughs of Neo Angeles. The Tentpole 3 are still kicking about, but they hold hands a little more often these days. Most games are cross-play, apart from the occasional console exclusive, which are more there for marketing than anything else. Sony are known for their flashy-looking and moderately powerful machines, there for anyone with money to spend but without the time to worry about things like overclocking or customization. Microsoft are providing a far more PC-like experience, with fully customizable console that can basically run anything, but at the cost of a monstrous price. Nintendo, of course, are doing what Nintendo do best. They're basically the only guys releasing new consoles anymore, and they'll do something interesting and new. Some are projectors that project 3D figures into your room as an AR experience. Gimmicky? Yes, but very fun. Others are handheld. Some are both handheld and not, and some are VR only. I noticed that they're advertising the new Super Smash Bros, and am incensed to discover that Waluigi is still not playable. From there, I step into the VR section. It's become a widely used peripheral, used both on PCs and all the consoles. It's marketed as a way to interact with people long distance, with video conference versions that pride themselves on their patented eye-tracking software. Others are sold for the experience, with comfort and immersion being the most important. I noticed several packing games, including one that allows you to visit the top 10 tourist locations in the world, without even leaving your house. London, Paris, Tokyo, they're all there, completely rebuilt in VR so you don't have to buy flights. There's educational pack-ins as well, tools to help your kids with history especially. Whole modules dedicated to sending your shithead teenage child to ancient Egypt lie in pride of place. I assume so you can have five minutes of peace and quiet. Some things never change. The most expensive rigs are for competition. I read up on the Ocularium, a distant relative of the Oculus Rift that comes not only with a lightweight state-of-the-art head rig, but a full haptic suit and multi-directional trackpad designed for competitive play in the latest shooters. I checked the price tag. Fuck me. These are a luxury for the most avid gamers and competitors in many esports leagues around the world. Most games aren't compatible with the whole rig, and it's obvious that VR isn't what we thought it would be. It's still huge, but it's a peripheral, and gaming is conducted first and foremost in your living room in front of your TV. I peruse the games. I can't get a great idea of the content, but I notice once again the lack of exclusives. Some games have exclusive versions on different consoles, but more experiences are playable on whatever you want. I check the back of a nearby case. These cases are there for show only, and you can't purchase them in store, only online. The entire area is basically a massive advert. There's a number of stats on the back of the box, and it has a checklist of features that are available if you play it on some consoles versus others due to power. It also lists the average price online, and as I expected, they're running at about 90 or 100 USD on average. Assuming there's been some inflation, they're probably about 20 or 30 bucks more expensive now. I leave the store stunned. Games have changed so much, 
but in the end, they're still games. In the game section, I had spotted new releases in familiar series, and awesome looking new titles that I probably wouldn't see for years. Knowing that things are looking good for that future, I make my way back to where I'm parked, kick the DeLorean back into gear, and fire off into the distance. The faint crack of lightning in the distance is the only sign I was ever there. Games are cool. I'm no prophet, and who knows whether what I say will come true. I can't wait to find out, though. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Free Lunch Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, uh, all criticisms are welcome. I am still learning, after all. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, and any of those kinds of things. I think Pocket Casts is the other one. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Final Argetlam or um, Facebook and just find my Facebook page. It's the Free Lunch Podcast. It's pretty great, although I don't post there very often. Otherwise, thank you so much to uh, all my supporters and, of course, to you, the listener, for joining me on this adventure. Keep being great.